passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me is Peter Flaherty. Millie is with us. Uh, she's definitely asleep this week. Hopefully she uh, she stays that way. We set our podcast recording schedule around the dog, so we'll, uh, we'll see how we do this week. Uh, <laughs> we had a great week of college baseball last weekend. This weekend's slate, also a fun one. Maybe a little bit less juicy than, than last weekend, but still still a really fun one. As we get past the halfway point here, past to the halfway point in pretty much every major conference uh, around the country, it, it really is, last week felt like a decisive weekend, Peter. You know, we, uh, we did a lot of work with the top 25. I think we had five teams come in and five teams exit, because got to have 25, so... Five are coming in, five are exiting, and uh, we we got some of these teams that have been, you know, up and down or kind of trying to tell us that maybe they weren't that good, but we were holding out hope that maybe something would would turn around for them. Uh, we we said goodbye to to a few of those teams, and uh, you know, it, it's just that time of year where you really have to your your record really is your record at this point, and if a team is uh, is not performing, then you know, there's still time for them to, to fix it in the second half. You know, in terms of the top 25, we've got to, we've got to react. And so Tennessee, the number two team in the country in the preseason is out. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more later, but they are five and 10 in, uh, in SEC play. Quite the, quite the surprise there. Some of the teams we brought in though, uh, we brought in Oregon State and Oregon. We brought in uh, Dallas Baptist, uh, UTSA is back, uh, as is Southern Miss. So a nice group of, uh, of teams coming in. Great weekend around the country. Some big SEC series. You had LSU beating Kentucky. You had Vanderbilt taking down South Carolina. Uh, Arkansas over Tennessee. Uh, we had Wake Forest going to Louisville and winning a big series. We had Miami knocking off UNC. Oregon over Stanford. We're going to get into a lot of that, and uh, we're going to look ahead to uh, this weekend's slate, another big-time series in the SEC with Florida heading to South Carolina. Uh, that kind of highlights the, this weekend. But, Peter, it's uh, it's been a fun week. It was a fun Tuesday night around the country as well as, as we record this on Wednesday. Just a, a great time in college baseball. Yeah, not only was it a was it a wild weekend, but <clears throat> excuse me, it was a it was an unbelievably crazy Tuesday with so many midweek upsets. You had Indiana State over Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt in midweeks, they've always kind of been a bugaboo for them, and they've they've had some problems with Indiana State in the past. If you go back to last year, it took them, I believe, it it was a marathon game, either maybe twelve or thirteen innings, and it 
it, that's what it took to beat Indiana State. And I think this like exact scheduled game, but nonetheless, the most surprising result of the night was obviously Louisiana beating LSU in that in-state rivalry. I know that meant a lot to the Raging Cajuns. Um, and then looking elsewhere, Portland beat Oregon, which was shocking. Not totally shocking. I mean, these midweek games are so weird. You can't really put a lot of stock in them one way or the other. I know when we're ranking, they obviously mean something, but if you can go out and win your weekend series after a little hiccup, it's not going to be to your detriment too much. And then I think the most significant result was, I think Indiana beating um, beating Louisville for RPI purposes. Indiana all of a sudden is, they're the top team in the Big Ten and they're sitting 14th in the RPI and that's a really good recipe to host if they can win the big 10 and keep that RPI up. So Indiana is all of a sudden in a spot to host. And then to your point about this past weekend in, in the season in general, I think we know at this point what a lot of these teams are. We were talking in the last few weeks about, okay, South Carolina has had a little bit of an easy schedule. What are they exactly? And I think after these last two weekends, it's safe to say that, you know, they're, they're a national championship contender. Kentucky, what are they? Are they the Kentucky that has gotten off to these fast starts and they just are going to fall off like they usually do and kind of limp into the tournament? It's like, well, you know, they're probably going to host. So I, I'd say that we know what we need to know about all of these clubs, I except really in the Big 12. I have no clue about the Big 12, which we'll get into more, but it was a great weekend, a a very wonky midweek slate. I really wasn't expecting that many upsets. There are always a few, but um, I, w- I was not expecting, I think it was five or six of our ranked teams went down. So hopefully not another chaotic weekend as it was, but um, there are always sure to be some surprises. Quickly on uh, Indiana, we're going to not focus on the Big Ten this week. Next week, I think, is a bigger Big Ten week. IU now, like you mentioned, Peter, they are they are up there in RPI. They're leading the Big Ten. We'll we'll pull back. I'll pull back the curtain here and uh, just say that IU. If you look in uh, in this week's projected field of sixty four, you'll see that there's a Bloomington Regional, and the entire reason for that right now is well, I shouldn't say the entire reason. Their resume is the entire reason, but the reason why that happened is because they beat Louisville last night. If Louisville wins that game, there's there's a Louisville regional and the regional would look literally the same. I, I just switched one and two, but that's how, that's how impactful that was. Like now w- they have to like keep doing everything they're doing, but at this point, like you cannot ignore Indiana sitting there 14 in RPI first place in the big 10. They have, you know, a top top 40 strength of schedule as it stands. Like there's a lot to like about this resume. Now they have to go finish it off, but you know, for a while, I thought the Big Ten had kind of missed it, missed out on being able to host. But here is Indiana. They've been very sticky in RPI ever since uh, they played some very difficult competition the first few weeks of the season. Uh, and they've, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're hanging tough there. And so we'll see if they, they can continue it. They have a big series coming up against Maryland in a couple weeks. Uh, but if they can win that, they're, they're really going to be uh, very much in the driver's seat within the Big Ten standings and uh, you know, kind of in their own control of their own destiny in, in terms of hosts. I guess while I'm mentioning this, also, you know, hosts kind of outside the the big conferences to watch. UConn is up to 16 right now. That might be a peak for them. 
they play Boston College later today, I think. And that's the last time UConn faces a top 100 RPI team this year. So we'll see there. That means that the margin for error for them. Yeah. BC today at five 30 uh, margin for error for UConn is very small for the rest of the way if they want to host, but they have put their RPI in a very advantageous spot. If they can run through the big East now, Indiana stayed up to 13 after, after beating, uh, Vanderbilt. I don't really buy the Sycamores as like potential hosts or anything. They have a massive series this weekend against Southern Illinois for supremacy in the Missouri Valley. Win that, and maybe I'll have to take them a little more seriously. Is like, are they are they potentially in this mix or not? But right now, the RPI says that they are. But we'll, uh, I, I will, I will withhold judgment at least. Uh, for the weekend, but very impressive. Uh, the Sycamores have won 11 in a row and uh, taking down Vanderbilt in Nashville was, uh, was not an easy one for them. Obviously that's a, that's a tough spot to go in, go in and, and, and win even on a, a Tuesday night. So uh, shouts to the six. Let's uh, let's stick in Nashville here, Peter uh, last weekend. Vanderbilt went out. They beat South Carolina. It was a very significant series win for the Doors. It was the first series loss of the year for South Carolina. And on Friday night, South Carolina went out. They beat Vanderbilt. They hit like five home runs. They scored 14 runs. It was the most runs Vanderbilt had allowed in a game this year. And I at least thought, okay, maybe South Carolina is going to get this done. And like, that's a It's a really impressive start. That's the kind of start you need if you're going to go out and you're going to win a series on the road in the SEC against a team like Vanderbilt. But Vanderbilt took that punch and just, it didn't phase them. They went out, they played really well the next two days. They contained the South Carolina offense in a way that most teams have not been able to do this year. And they scratch out the series win and and scratch out maybe isn't even giving them enough credit. They did a really good job those last two days. They took advantage of some mistakes from South Carolina. The Gamecocks did not play clean defensively. And, uh, you know, if you're going to go on the road to a team like, like Vanderbilt, which has some speed, which knows how to to make you pay on the bases, like that's, you got to play cleaner than South Carolina did. And so the upshot is that Vanderbilt comes out with the series win. They're in first place in the SEC East still. And, you know, the, the start that, that Vanderbilt had had to, to SEC play had been very fast, but had come against some teams that are at the bottom of the standings. Well, they just proved it against South Carolina, a team that's you know fighting right there with them in, in the division race. So whatever questions there were about the doors and their gaudy SEC record coming into the weekend, I know I had some uh, really last weekend seemed to answer them. And I was just really impressed by the way that they bounced back after that Friday night loss. It was a little bit of a a repeat of the LSU series in a sense for the Gamecocks. They come out on Friday night. They club five home runs. Ethan Petrie hit Petrie hits another huge one. Comasina hits two, and it's kind of like okay, like you said, South Carolina might they might do this in dominant fashion because Vanderbilt was they we knew they were going to be without Hunter Owen, who's been fantastic for them, and then it was iffy if Carter Holton was going to throw. And he gave it a go on Saturday. He came out. He he didn't have his stuff. He was he was a little rusty. And then South Carolina gets out to a 
they get out to a four nothing lead in game two and it's like okay wow south carolina's not only are they probably going to do this it's going to be in commanding fashion but vanny hangs a couple zeros they get back in the game rj shrek has really come on for him as of late i've been his production has kind of I think been a spark plug for the entire offense and has rubbed off on them because they're hitting really well as a team. And Chris Maldonado is another guy who is very impressive, but Jack Bulger stepped up this weekend, I thought. And then you had guys out of the bullpen who they, they weren't off to the best start this year, but they, you needed them to pull their weight for, for Vandy to pull this off with the lack of depth that they had this weekend on the mound. And, one guy I want to highlight was Pat Riley, and he comes out of the bullpen. He throws four shutout innings, allows just one hit, strikes out six against a really, really good South Carolina team. And they desperately needed four shutout because they had dug themselves that hole and they were just kind of starting to scratch and claw their way back into the game. So I'm not sure if they win this series without the services of Patrick Riley. And it's it's evident this Vanderbilt team, they, they really love playing for each other. They get, they have unbelievable chemistry. I was actually talking with Enrique Bradfield jr. About it. And he said that he loves the team. He loves playing for them. He loves, everyone loves playing with each other. And it's clear that they have a next man up mentality with all of these guys kind of ready to step up. If someone goes down, Pat, Pat Riley being the perfect case, but if someone's not going to produce on offense, you know, you might see Jack Bulger with a great weekend or Jonathan Vastine with a great weekend who everyone picks up for one another. And it's, it's kind of these, what I think is a classic coach Corbin team. The ones you see dogpiling at the end of all of this. So very, very impressed with the resolve Vandy showed and them coming out with a really big series win. I, it's going to be hard to find a team with a better resume in the country, I think, to this point than the Doors. But on the flip side for South Carolina, of course you want to win the series, um, but it's it's really no knock on them. It was the three-game tightly contested series that we all thought this was, this was going to be. So Gamecocks are still in a very good position, but blown away by, by the Doors at this point. They got two outs out of Holton and Owen, who are their best two pitchers, who are, you know, their two most prospecty pitchers. Like that to in a in a week a weekend where they're that shorthanded on the mound, because it's not just that they were out without Owen and and Holton didn't get out of the first inning on Saturday. Uh Andrew Dukanich hasn't pitched in like a month. They've been down some other guys in, in the bullpen and you know, so yeah, what what Riley did coming in on Saturday, giving them four really good innings was was very much needed. Uh, and then Devin Fatrell on Sunday coming out and, and pitching very well was uh, was really important as well to to get them through the finish line uh, on the weekend. So what what Vanderbilt's doing has been very impressive. They this weekend go to Tennessee. That's tricky because it's a rivalry but Tennessee has not been playing very well at all um the it's a good time I guess for Vanderbilt to to go up there they're sitting at 13 and 2 in the SEC Uh, it's just been a an incredible start to SEC play for for Vanderbilt obviously challenges still lie ahead 
you know, Arkansas and Florida are sitting there at the end of the season. They have Kentucky uh, still to come. They have a trip to Alabama, which is tricky. But this is this is a really good Vanderbilt team. This is a team that that's worthy of of everything that you know the the record and the resume says that they are. So, I very impressive weekend for them. And now South Carolina has to go home, and they have to get right in a hurry because Florida is coming this weekend. And uh, Peter, let's uh, spin it forward to uh, to this weekend as we look at this. Florida eleven and four in the SEC. They're they're just ahead of South Carolina there at at, at ten and four. They're both obviously chasing Vanderbilt in the East. The loser this weekend is probably done in the division race. I it would be hard to to get back ahead of, of Vanderbilt and Florida if you fall that far behind for, for South Carolina, especially because they would be done against them. So for, really for the Gamecocks, if they're trying to win the East, I think this is must win. Florida has maybe a little more margin for error because they still have to play Vanderbilt. But it's a, it's a big weekend no matter how you slice it. It's two of the, the best power-hitting teams in the country uh, going at it. You've got some big arms, some big bats. It, it should just be another one of these these great SEC weekends uh, at Founders Park. Yeah, and the key is being at Founders Park because <clears throat> I think the ball's going to be flying all weekend. Even with the the great arms that we'll see from both of these teams, you'll see Will Sanders against Brandon Sprout, which hopefully will not be rain-shortened tomorrow night. I'm not sure of the forecast, but would hate to be robbed of another premier pitching matchup. And then... It'll be Hurston Waldrop and Jack Caglione rounding it out for Florida with Jack Mahoney. And I, I don't think Noah Hall is going to be back this weekend. Yeah, we, we don't know about the status of Noah Hall still. Yeah, so that's up in the air. Obviously, getting him back would be a huge boost against a really, really high-powered Gators offense. But similar to what we were thinking with the LSU series, I think that this is going to be I don't think runs will be at a premium. I I think it's going to be a at least a couple of these games are going to kind of be shootouts that one of these teams are going to have to get shut down innings out of their bullpen to to seal it. But I think something to note is Florida's going to be without Brandon Neely this weekend in response to him being thrown out of Sunday's game against Georgia. And that's really, really significant because he, ERA aside, his ERA is inflated because of one dud outing, but he's been one of, if not the best late inning guy for the Gators. And to be without his services for a weekend where it's not out of the, the, the question that you would have used him two times, whether that be Friday, Sunday, or Saturday, Sunday, I, I think you would have seen him used in a game in, in one of the first two games and then in a game three if they needed to seal it. So to be without him is, I think, a really big blow. And you'll need one of the starters. I, I think Sprout or Waldrop are the most likely candidates. You need a strong six to seven innings out of them, I think, in one of them, just to, to lighten the load on the bullpen, which has been inconsistent at times. Ryan Slater's also been been very good so he'll need to step up but I, I think the Gators are going to really need their starting pitching to step up you'll need their offense will hit that's never been a question they'll they'll score this weekend and they can score on anyone Josh Rivera has been outstanding and then Jack Caglione at this point I 
He's Jack Caglione. He hit another home run last night. He's had 22 on the year, 58 RBIs. And then with South Carolina, they're at, at Founders Park this year. They are, I believe it's 21 and one. Yeah, they're 21 and one at home. That's another high powered offense. Ethan Petrie, obviously leading the charge, hitting 438 with 18. Cole Messina had a great weekend last weekend. He's sitting at 12 home runs, also hitting over 300. The veteran Braylon Wimmer, who ironically was, he was 10 for 22, I think, in his career against Vanderbilt, or 11 for 23. And he was basically non-existent the whole weekend, but he's still hitting 305 with 10. So a very balanced attack from the Gamecocks. And then on the mound, even if they're hypothetically without the services of Noah Hall, they have the the personnel to step up. And I think that they have the upper hand when it comes to pitching depth with the arms that they can roll out of the bullpen, whether it's Chris Veach or if they want to use Eli Jones. Eli Jerzenbeck threw last night. He got the start, but I'm sure that he'll be available if needed out of the bullpen. So there are a lot of weapons at their disposal they play outstandingly well at founders park it's a it's a great crowd they they get behind the gamecocks and it's clear that they feed off of their energy so i think with with what south carolina has done this year and the fact that it's at home and i i think it's hard to i kind of give the edge here to the gamecocks in what i think will come down to that saturday game three um, almost all but certainly, but I, I think that in talking this out, they're in a pretty a pretty good position to to rack up yet another very impressive SEC series win and kind of make it a two team race in the east with with them and Vanderbilt. So Florida is actually eight and one on the road. So something's gotta give here. Somebody's gonna take uh, you know, a, a, a lose a losing weekend either at home or on the road for the first time this season you know it's uh it's very impressive what both of these teams have done and and, you know it's it's a great weekend i i i am really looking forward to this and uh you know you're looking at at the gamecocks and coming in and if florida's allowed to win this weekend you know that that really does something for south carolina in terms of you know, it's a big hole to climb out of. And I also think South Carolina at this point is kind of just in need of something to to stamp on their resume and say, like, yeah, we're really this good because they are number two in RPI. Uh, they're up there in you know, whatever ranking you want to look at. But if you look at it, you know, OK, they went one and one against LSU, and that's better than anyone else has done in terms of just getting a series split. But they lost at Vanderbilt. You know, the, their series wins in the SEC then, Georgia, Mizzou, Mississippi State, not projected tournament teams, Clemson, not a projected. I mean, we've been over all of this before. They kind of need something that says we are as good as, as the record says we are. And this is their best opportunity because they're at home and they play so well at home. Uh, they still have at Kentucky and at Arkansas, but, you know, going down the road is hard in the SEC. We know that. So. Big spot for the Gamecocks if they want to be a top eight seed. If they, you know, they're going to host right now. Like that, all of that's that's very well assured, I would say. But if they want to compete in the SEC East, if they want to be a top eight seed in the NCAA tournament, I kind of think they need this weekend, or else the path uh, is uh, is going to get harder on them. Let's uh, let's go to the other half of this. Uh, you know, spin ahead like Vanderbilt now going to Knoxville, uh, Tennessee reeling. They are five and ten. They are coming off of another series loss, this time at a sweep 
at Arkansas. They did not score runs this weekend, this last weekend at all. It was the fewest runs they'd scored in a 27 inning series since 2019. Uh, that I, I say it that way because they actually scored fewer runs at Mizzou earlier uh, this year, but there were two seven inning games there. No matter how you slice it, though, it was a bad offensive weekend uh, for for the Vols, and you know they they are they are really fighting it right now. They do get to go home to Knoxville, which is important for them, but they do it against a rival that is going to be very motivated and very much able to, to beat a team like Tennessee that has struggled with free bases, whether that's, you know, in terms of command on the mound or errors or whatever, they have to play much cleaner than they've been playing lately. If they want to beat Vanderbilt this weekend. And it's a it's a Tennessee team that is seriously limping into this Vanderbilt rivalry series. Obviously, last weekend they get swept against Arkansas. We saw Coach Vitello deploy the old-fashioned double TBA along with Andrew Lindsay, who got the start and was actually good in his in his limited work. But it's clear that they're desperately trying to figure out this the secret sauce, the secret recipe to, to get rolling because the talent they have on their team, it it's undeniable looking up and down their roster. It's, they obviously lost some guys from last year, namely Drew Gilbert and Jordan Beck, but coming into this year, we had them ranked two for a reason. And they were talked about as a national title team for a reason. So it's not like they're not talented. It's just, they have not been able to, to get going for whatever reason. And I think teams, obviously, regardless of how Tennessee was this year, teams were going to be playing with extra motivation and a huge chip on their shoulder against them just because Tennessee last year, and it's, and it's kind of been their style and and there's nothing wrong with it. They, they were good and they knew it and they were very vocal about it. And they had no problem celebrating. And I, I personally love watching them play. I, that got me fired up. And then on the flip side, teams from last year aren't going to forget that. So we saw with Florida in their series win, they hung the picture of, I think last year at Florida, they won that series, Tennessee did. And they went to the Gators equipment room, put on a couple of football helmets and then posted on social media. And they had that, they had that picture hanging in their dugout and, and kind of using it to fire them up. So Teams are catching Tennessee at a really weak spot. Um, I, I mean, you know, if you go back and listen to the podcast for the last like, gosh, four or five weeks when we kind of started raising our eyebrows about Tennessee, I, I kept being the guy that was like, no, they're going to figure it out this weekend. They get this team, and Chase Dolander is going to be the guy that we expected him to be, and the offense is going to click, and then everything's going to be fine, and they're going to rip off three series wins in a row. Maybe not to that level, but I I was a firm believer in the Vols to turn this thing around. But last night's midweek loss was really really alarming. If if you're if you weren't already worried as a Tennessee fan, just because after a tough series loss on the weekend, you want to come out and set the tone for the week. Not saying the Vols still can't win their series with Vanderbilt, but you want to see that they're playing a little ticked off and and motivated and kind of come out and hang a crooked number. 
but it was it was it was the reverse with Tennessee Tech. They were in control from first pitch to last out, and it sounds like Christian Moore is injured. I know that I read he has a boot on his left foot. I don't know if he fouled a pitch off his foot or what it is, but it, it sounds like they might be without him this weekend. And then on the pitching staff, they're I mean, they're really trying to find any sort of consistency. I, I don't know, and I don't think they've released their projected rotation for this weekend. I'm sure it's going to be another TBA or a couple of TBAs with, I think. Uh, to, to, just to interject here, what they, what happened last week is they announced Andrew Lindsay making his first start of the year on Friday night and then two TBAs. It ended up being just Lindsay, Dolander, Beam. I don't really understand why they couldn't have announced that to begin with because I like, were you really going to use Dolander in relief on Friday night? Maybe, I don't know, but I would assume that's what it'll be again, except that Chase Burns pitched really well last weekend for the first time in weeks. Now that happened in relief. So maybe you want to stick with him there. I, a lot of, a lot of options for them, but yeah, they, I, I don't know say, that now it's more than one starter, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say as a college baseball fan sitting here, you, you can count on Dolander and beam being in the rotation. They're, they're just not going to take him out. So I think it all just comes down to whether or not they're going to use chase Burns out of the bullpen again, which like you said, is a possibility, but in a series that they, I think every series for them from here on is a must win. You might just want to start him and, and see if he can find what he had from the jump. And I hate to be that guy to ask this, but at what point do you start do you start talking about Tennessee as a team that misses the tournament? Because I'm looking at the SEC standings right now in the SEC what in the SEC East, excuse me. Missouri's technically a half game up on them. They have the overall record of 23 and 13, but losing the tiebreakers, Tennessee or yeah, Missouri also owns the tiebreaker over them with the sweep. And Tennessee's RPI is 41 right now. They have one SEC series win. Their schedule is not really getting any easier. Um, I, I'm kind of curious in your mind, let's say they lose another series at against Vanderbilt, which at this point might even be expected given how the two teams are playing. But at what point are you thinking about Tennessee as a team that, that, that might not make a regional? So it's definitely a fair question to be asking. They're five and ten. To be an as an SEC team, you really have to win at least thirteen SEC games to have a shot. So that means in the second half of conference play, Tennessee has to go eight and seven, um, minimally. And is this the kind of team that can go eight and seven against home to Vanderbilt, home to Mississippi State, at Georgia, home to Kentucky, at South Carolina? I. Uh, I'm still inclined to say yes, but it won't be easy. Now, the other wrench that got thrown into that is that they lost on Tuesday to Tennessee Tech, 11 and 24 Tennessee Tech, RPI 263 Tennessee Tech, and it wasn't a close game either. And it was a home loss. It was a 12 to 5 home loss. Now, RPI doesn't care how much you lose by. That's just for us to care about and to look at and say, how did that happen? But it is still a terrible home loss that did nothing positive to their RPI. It really actually, it it hammered them. They're down almost 20 spots already this week. And that's really significant because their RPI is now 41. And just playing some of these 
additional SEC games will help them recover that. And you win some SEC games and that helps you recover it. But they no longer can be said to have like, oh, look at their look at their elite RPI or look at their really high end RPI sitting around 20. Like, no, now it's a normal bubble RPI. And like that's that's just not a good spot to be in. Their strength of schedule number is 20. Like that's still good. Like all of this is to say that if they can just go eight and seven and then win on Tuesday in the SEC tournament, like that's a team that's going to feel like, well, we probably are going to get in. But like they've now pushed themselves all the way down to the bubble, basically, and have removed a whole bunch of their margin for error. And I, again, I'm just saying that they have to win eight SEC games. That's to get to 13. 13 does not guarantee you anything. Like you really have to get to 14 before you can say like, yeah, we'll probably be in here on 14. And as long as our RPI is north of 60 or whatever, north of 50, maybe winning nine more SEC games. Like that's, that's a big ask for this team all of a sudden. And I mean, if they miss the tournament, that would be, that would be stunning. Uh, That would be more stunning than Ole Miss missing the tournament. Maybe that I've just come to terms with Ole Miss missing the tournament uh, by now. But at least if Ole Miss misses the tournament, you can say, well, Hunter Elliott got hurt and that changed the entire complexion of the Ole Miss season. Tennessee doesn't really have that. Like, you know, Maui Ahuna was out for a while, but that only impacted their first weekend, really. The rest of the time. Sorry to interject. I think they went six and two in the games that he missed so yeah it he, was the first it was just the first weekend that's not anything in sec play he's been there i mean he currently has a back injury and missed part of the arkansas series but chase dolander hasn't gotten hurt you know like they haven't had one of those major injuries it just hasn't come together in the way that anybody expected and tony vitello at some point told the beat writers i can't find this actual quote at some point in the preseason, he made a comment that made it sound like uh, the polls are too high on us. But like, there's a difference between the polls are too high on us at two and we're a team that is like going to be fighting for our bubble lives by the middle of April. Right. It's one thing to go out and say that where it's like, eh, two, we'll take it. But, you know, we're more of like a top 15, top 10-ish team. Then it's like, okay, sure, we we get that. You want your guys to stay motivated and, and play with a chip on their shoulder and some of them might have not proved a lot, but like you said, you have that beam Dolander burns rotation, however you want to slice it. And then you've got great weapons out of the bullpen and the offense, but where I don't think anyone in the country expected to sit here on April 19th on the day of that we're recording to talk about Tennessee at this point, they're going to need to play themselves into the tournament, which is just stunning. But like you said, I do think that they get to that 13, 14, 15 win threshold, but they're going to need to, they're probably going to need to to pull a sweep off against obviously one of these last five series, but namely against maybe a Mississippi state or a Georgia, because I, I don't think they're going to get that against Vandy, Kentucky or South Carolina. And I think that they definitely need to, they got to pull off what's now what now would be an upset win over those three teams, whether it be Vanderbilt, Kentucky, or South Carolina. So they also just got to stop getting swept. They've been swept twice in SEC play. You can be swept twice in SEC play and make the tournament. It happens like all the time, but they got to stop it now. Like they've they've got they 
their mulligans have been used. <laughs> exactly. That's the perfect way to say it. It's like, okay, that, like, ex- exactly. So an uphill battle, like you said, I do think they get in um, when all is said and done, but they, they do need to right ship very, very quickly. All right, so uh, we're going to take a, a quick break here. Uh, we're going to come back, though, and we're, we're going to talk about the state of the ACC race and, and the state of the Pac-12 race, both of which uh, got some shakeups. Well, not so much a shakeup in the ACC. Uh, a definitive statement was made, I guess we'll say, in the ACC, and the, the Pac-12 race is, is tightening. Going to uh, talk about that and, uh, and more here. Uh, but first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything On one website, I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so... As uh, all of that was happening in, in the SEC, the ACC race, Peter, I feel like it might be over already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you. Last, We went in the last weekend with that Wake-Louisville series long circled on our schedules. And we can talk more in depth about it, but Wake goes on the road. They take two of three at Jim Patterson Stadium, which is something an away team hadn't done since 2021 when Miami did it. And they now sit, the Atlantic race is effectively over. Not mathematic, but it's over. Wake Forest is 14 and three in in, in the ACC. And then Louisville is in second at eight and seven. So Wake has the Atlantic all but sealed. And then Virginia's three behind in the loss column for the ACC regular season champion. And I I don't see Wake relinquishing that at all. It, so it's I, notable that Wake and UVA do not play each other this year, sadly. So UVA really has no no chance to... like If they had a series, that three-game lead shouldn't necessarily be like dead set. But the fact that they don't play means that... Wake has to lose three more games than Virginia does in the second half of the year. And I, I just don't see that happening. Right. If they had played, that's one thing. Maybe Wake somehow pulls a miraculous. These are all very, very hypotheticals. But if if, if they had played, then it was a, there was a little bit more of a valid argument that UVA might be able to pull it off. But like you said, I, I do not envision Wake losing 
more four more games than UVA does in the in the back half here. So I think that we we kind of have our our ACC regular season champ here and number one overall seed heading into Charlotte or if it's back in Durham, but we have our number one overall seed at this point, I think. And so the, the thing that wake did this weekend, uh, you, I, I guess it's more about just what that more than just what wake did this weekend. UVA also lost a home series to Pitt. Pitt, by the way, we're probably not going to dive too deep into this, but Pitt like legit had Mike Bell has Brian O'Connor's number. They've won th- the Panthers have won three straight series against the Who's. Uh, remarkable. I, the, the UVA the last three years has been really, really good. They made it to Omaha in twenty one. Last year they uh, were were near the top of the ACC standings pretty much the whole season, and then this year, of course, they're looking like they're going to win the Coastal, and we'll see how far they go in the postseason. But Pitt, meanwhile, hasn't made the tournament in any of those years. They probably not changing this year. They're sixteen and eighteen overall. Uh, but they have figured out something against UVA. Whatever. <laughs> that's a great stat. I actually didn't know that. That's a it's, that's it's a incredible. very interesting stat. I, uh, I I found myself looking that up late on uh, on Sunday night, and I don't have it in front of me. But I think UVA is like all time twenty one and eleven against Pitt, and six of those losses have happened in the last three years under Mike Bell. So <laughs> no kidding. Mike, Mike Bell has been the coach at Pitt since, like, this is his fifth true, like, official season. Four seasons they've played ACC baseball because 20 doesn't, didn't happen, obviously. Virginia swept Pitt that first year, and then since then it's been a problem. All right, back to the point here. So UVA took a tumble, a, a stumble for the first time last week, and they're allowed that. You know, you're, you're, you're allowed to lose a series here and there. They're still in control of the Coastal. They've beaten Miami. They've beaten UNC already. Uh, they hold a two-game lead over both of them in the coastal race. So I think both of your division races in the ACC are done. Wake has all but sealed. The magic number is like ten, I think, on the 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 Atlantic title. Like they're they're cruising. The question now in the ACC, I think, is about the NCAA tournament and about hosts. Wake Forest last night passed LSU in uh, in RPI. That's the first time that's happened this season. They are third now behind Kentucky and South Carolina. That is massively significant for the number one overall seed. If if LSU wins the SEC and Wake wins the ACC and Wake stays ahead in RPI, Wake is going to be the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. And by the way, they're also ahead of Florida. They're ahead of Vanderbilt. They're ahead of Arkansas. They're ahead of whoever you would probably put up as potential SEC champs. So that's important. Uh, it's early. I didn't make the flip yet, but it's it's important for, for Wake if they want to be the number one overall seed. That's a, a question of whether you actually want that, considering the, uh, the postseason history of the number one overall seed. But it's significant from that standpoint. Wake and Virginia look rock solid as hosts. And then I don't know if the ACC gets another one. Right now, I don't have another one projected. Uh, Miami and Louisville are definitely in the mix. We've had Boston College before, but BC lost a home series to Duke last weekend. They're 9-9 nine and nine, uh, in the ACC. They're going in the wrong direction. And, you know, my, Miami could do it. They just went into Chapel Hill and won a series. That was really important to them. They're top 15 in RPI. On the flip side, UNC fell to 34. Uh, they have a lot of work to do if they want to host. UNC, or uh, NC State, excuse me, is the 
is a, has a top 10 RPI, but an eight and nine uh, conference record, that's not going to get it done. They're, they're playing much better right now, but you know, they, they have a big hole they're digging out of. So the ACC is absurdly top heavy. Like we've talked a little bit uh, that maybe we haven't talked about, it, but it's out there in the ether that the SEC is top heavy. Honestly, it's got nothing on the ACC. The ACC has two behemoths in Wake and UVA and then some other good teams. But right now, you know, I still believe in Louisville, but it's uh, there's definitely a a big gap, I would say, between Wake and UVA and, and the rest of the, the league. And I alluded to it at the beginning, but I think at this point, for for better or worse, we know who and and what a lot of these teams are. And I think it's you have two, I think, national championship contenders with Wake and UVA, and then a handful of regional teams, potentially a super regional team mixed in there. Obviously, if you get in, you can go to Omaha and you can win it all. But in how I'm looking at it, it's just kind of you have the two titans at the top and then a bunch of good teams. And as far as hosting goes, it, Wake and UVA are, I mean, definitely will host. Potentially both will be top eight national seeds. And then it's like you look for that third host and you ran through it. But I, I, Miami's RPI is, I think, at 12 right now, which is good. But again, 23 and 13, 10 and 8, they still have work to do. All of these teams have work to do outside of Wake and UVA if they want to host. and. With Wake's remaining schedule, they've kind of, and not that the ACC is the SEC where every weekend it's kind of like you're you're looking for a, a bit of a breather and you just don't get it. Wake, on the other hand, they do have Pitt this weekend, who's coming off that series win against Virginia. But then it's you go you get BC at home, you go to Florida State, which I mean they're dead in the water, and I and it's it's brutal to say, but I think that they're. They're two and twenty, I think, in their last twenty-two games, or two and nineteen in their last twenty-one, and they've—I mean—they play like they've just kind of given up on the season, which is brutal to see because that that regional streak is going to come to an end. And yeah, I—that's a whole other podcast episode talking about Florida State, but wake the rest of the way. That I—I really don't think that they're going to lose a series. There's no series I have circled on here as a potential hiccup. BC maybe a month ago, when they were off to that great start, it was like okay, BC is maybe they are for real. And I still think they're a good club. They're not great, and I think that come come selection Monday, they're going to be a team I think that's sweating it out, um, just in looking at who they have. So it's weird to say with a month left, it's kind of the anti-SEC where there are, are so many teams vying for that top spot and six teams competing, I think, for five top five spots in the overall rankings. And there's a chance like six of the eight national seeds could be SEC teams. So yeah, the, not to say that the ACC is boring. There are still going to be great series. Um each weekend, but it's kind of more less so of the SEC Florida super fight vibe and more of the, Ooh, this team is going to that team. This will be interesting for team X to try and eat their way into the tournament while team Y is trying to scratch and claw back into a hosting spot. So none of these series really have 
drastic implications on the on the top of the ACC, which I guess makes it exciting because any team that faces off that isn't at the top, it's I mean could could overtake the other. But um, yeah, this the ACC is all but kind of wrapped up. I mean, I, at this point, I think I need to look up what the ACC record for conference wins is because I think Wake has a shot to challenge it. the The one series that I would so they could lose any of them except for maybe at Florida state crazy as it is to say that like at Pitt, you know, we just saw what Pitt's capable of BC. We know they're comfortable on the road. We know that they can knock off some good teams. Like I don't think they're losing either of those or, and again, I, I don't think they're losing to uh, at Florida state. The last one of the season, they play Virginia tech at home. It's good for wake that it's at home, but it also could very well be a, we don't really care about this weekend. Like, let's just get to the ACC tournament week for them. And Virginia Tech may be fighting for its tournament life. So, like, you see things like that, uh, that that final weekend sometimes where one of the teams is way more motivated than the other. Uh, if you already have hosting locked up, if you're looking ahead to the conference tournament and then regionals, like, maybe you take your foot off the gas a little bit and the other one is just jammed on the accelerator trying to, like, collect as many wins as they can to improve their, their, their chances that has that potential Virginia tech has been playing better of late, but like I'm now forecasting more than a month down the road. And uh, so we'll, we'll see what comes of that, but wake has a chance to, to, to really put up some impressive totals that this season uh, they're, they're sitting there at 14 and three now. And the, the, before we move on, the other thing from last weekend was that, it had the not only were they going to Louisville, a place where road teams really struggle, but their pitching was kind of screwed up because their series against NC State had been so messed up by bad weather that they only played two games and they played them as a doubleheader on Sunday. And they chose to throw like all three of their starters in that doubleheader and it worked out just fine. They swept the doubleheader. But that meant that if they had gone back to Rhett Louder to start the series on Friday, he would have been pitching on really short rest, having thrown, I think it was like 99 pitches on Sunday. So they opted not to do that, to hold him until Saturday. They threw Sean Sullivan, who'd thrown like 70 pitches on Sunday. And they knew that that was going to be a shorter start because he'd thrown all those pitches. He's on short rest. And it didn't matter. Like Sullivan was okay. He wasn't at his best. But Seth Keener came in and gave them five incredible innings out of the bullpen. And, you know, they rolled to an 11 to five win and then Rhett Lauder went out and, you know, threw seven scoreless and Wake Forest shut out Louisville. Uh, it was the first time Louisville has been shut out this season. And, you know, it's a really good Louisville offense that they did that too. So I, the, the fact that they were able to do that in a weekend that was on the road against a tough opponent and you didn't have your pitching lined up the way it was. I mean, it said a lot to me. Yeah. And and similar to talking through Vanderbilt earlier with the makeup of these teams that that do end up winning the national championship, Wake is, I think, the perfect example of it with you have your stars, but the production of these, I think, lesser known guys, at least on the national scale, has paid dividends for them. We saw in the NC State doubleheader sweep, it was Pierce Bennett with four of their seven RBIs in the twin bill. And then this past weekend against Louisville, we saw Justin Johnson really step up and Sean Sullivan doesn't have his best stuff. Granted it's on short rest, 
Seth Keener comes in and, and shoves for five innings. And Keener, all year, that's what he's done. He started a couple times, but out of these extended these extended stints out of the bullpen, he's got a .77 ERA, 47 Ks to eight walks in 35 innings. And he's holding opponents to a 140 average. And he's not the only one. I think, and, and I'll this is a conversation for another time, but if you're looking for the potentially next great arm out of Wake Forest, it's it's Michael Massey who is who's coming in a late inning role. If they in twenty fourth they want to move him into the rotation, then 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 that's what they do. But he's got power stuff. He's almost striking out two guys an inning. It's ninety five to ninety seven with riding life and a plus breaking ball. So He's been great, and then and then Camden Manasi has been a has been the staple for them to close game out to close games out, and his I guess you could call it antics on the mound are always fun to watch. But with this Wake team, it is really hard to to find a hole or a vulnerability with them because they can hit one through nine. They have depth on depth on their pitching staff. There is not a a, a single arm at this point that is logged a handful of innings that coach Walter is uncomfortable going to. So the, I I've been, we were high on weight coming into the season. I, I honestly didn't think we'd be sitting here talking about them having the ECC race wrapped up in April, but, but that's where we are. Indeed. Uh, so let's go out West where the race is very much not wrapped up in the pack 12, uh, Things are very bunched up right now. Stanford last weekend lost a series at Oregon. Uh, big one for the Ducks. Tough one for the, the Cardinal. I'm not that concerned about it for the Cardinal. Like I said, with UVA, you're allowed to have a tough weekend. And in Stanford's case, especially on the road against a quality opponent like Oregon, uh, I'm a little more concerned about Stanford now, having lost on Tuesday to Sacramento State. That did some not great things to their RPI. They're still in line to host and everything but uh pitching depth is clearly an issue for stanford and uh it's just something to keep in mind as you uh as you look ahead into the second half of the season and into june uh so that was one of the big results of the weekend oregon state sweeping usc was also massive i don't know how high oregon state can climb in terms of the pac-12 standings or rpi or anything they did some damage to themselves early on but right now, it sure feels like they're playing as well as anyone out West. And I I certainly wouldn't want to see them uh, down the stretch in, in, in the second half of the season uh, or, or into the tournament. So interesting times uh, out West last weekend. We get more of it this weekend. Oregon State, again, one of the hotter teams out there. They've won seven straight. They're going to Arizona State, which is in first place in the Pac-12 by a half game over Stanford. The thing about ASU is, yes, they've been good, and yes, they they deserve the praise. Uh, you know, they're eleven and three in the Pac-12. They've played very well, but they're about to really get a gauntlet here. They've got Oregon State this weekend. Then they're at Oregon. Then they've got Stanford. Then they're at USC. Then they're at UCLA. The second half of the Pac-12 season is much tougher than the first half for Arizona State. I don't know what we've got in Arizona state yet. It's great that they've built those wins. It's great that they've built that momentum. Now they're going to have to convert it against the other best teams in the conference. And it starts this weekend against the Beavers. This is where we're going to find out quick. If, 
if a is if asu is for real if they have whatever kind of upside that they have or if they are like you said a good maybe not great yet team if that's more down the road in 2024 with with the returning cast that they'll have but like you said it's oregon state this weekend and not to mention the pac-12 gauntlet they also have a right after this weekend with oregon state they have a midweek series with Fullerton who has very, very much flown under the radar as a team that is playing good baseball in the big West and is back in the regional conversation, but focusing more on this weekend, Oregon state is they're kind of the reverse Tennessee, if you will, where they've really, really figured it out in the last few weeks. They have, they played a cl- they got swept against Stanford, which is tough, obviously, but they played all three of those games close. And then they win that series against Berkeley, win a series against Washington, win their rivalry series against Oregon. And then I think loudest of all, they pull off a sweep against a, a really good USC club. And it's as it has all year, it's been pitching that's that's carried the load for the for the Beavers, but they've started to hit more a little bit too. And, and, and Bazan has always been leading the charge up there. He's hitting 350, 11 doubles, more walks than K's. Um, if he wasn't an Australian citizen, he'd play on team USA this summer. And then Micah McDowell up at the top has been just a, a really, really exceptional table setter. He's a, he's more of a slash and dash type player, but he did go deep against USC and then Garrett Forrester. Um, who is another known draft commodity up in Corvallis. And I think the thing about Oregon State is, sure, they might not be able to get into these home run derbies with teams, which is all too common a theme nowadays for whatever reason it is. Um, I won't speculate, but there is not a an easy at bat on this roster. Everyone has a very keen eye. There isn't a lot of swing and miss outside of a couple hitters in their lineup. They're going to scratch and claw every at bat and wear opposing pitchers down. Now, of, of their pitching has been great with Sellers out of on the rotation, and then Ryan Brown and freshman Sidewinder AJ Hutchison have have been their two really solid guys out of the bullpen. Um, and then there are a host of other players who have thrown the ball well, but. This weekend heading to Arizona State, it's it's strength on strength. Arizona State's offense has has carried the load for them. They're hitting 314 as a team with 69 doubles and 50 home runs in 35 games. Ryan Campos has been remarkable, hitting 413. And then that freshman duo of Luke Hill and New Contratus are hitting 350 and 333, respectively. So it's going to be a really fascinating series. I think Um, I tend to give the edge to the team that has more depth on the mound and can, can pitch better than they hit, which is what Oregon state is not to mention the fact that they're playing really good baseball, but I think that their pitching is good enough and the personnel they have is good enough to not completely neutralize the sun devils, but keep them in check to where Oregon state's offense is able to produce, I don't know, 
anywhere from four to seven runs in a game, which which is more than enough we've seen for the Beavers to to not only win a game but get by winning a series on. So I give the edge to OSU here, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts because I think it's going to be a, a, a very fascinating series because if Oregon State can come out with with another series win, then, I mean, the Pac-12, it, it's going to be hard for a team not named ASU, Stanford, or UCLA, maybe even Oregon to win it. But but this is another, another pivotal series um, out West. Yeah, I think Oregon State, because not only are they sitting at 10 and 8 right now, and so they're five games in the loss column behind Arizona State and four behind Stanford, but they've also played more games than everyone. They're, they have the last, by, well, not than literally everyone, but then the leaders in front of them. They uh, they have the bye week the last weekend of the year. So it's they're, they're fighting a, a, a uphill on kind of like two fronts in that. But this weekend, I want to agree with you. I want to say that I, I want to side with the pitching and defense team. Like that's kind of my, that's kind of my, my bias anyway. Phoenix Muni is not as big as it used to be, but it's still a bigger ballpark. Um, so like that should also help Oregon State. Arizona State's just been really good at home though. And is that... But like, if you look at it, their their home road splits are, are are significant. They're seventeen and three at home versus seven and seven on the road. Now, how much of that is they've played better competition on the road? Like they went to Oklahoma State, they went to Mississippi State. Um, you know that that that's tough. They they haven't really played a team like that caliber at home. Uh, you know, maybe the best team they've played at home is UC Irvine, and they got swept. Um, that might be might be overlooking like Washington state uh, or, or Arizona, but you know, like the level of competition at home has maybe been a little bit lesser than it, than it is on the road. And that changes this weekend, right? Cause Oregon state's a really good team. So I think I would lean Oregon state. I don't want to discount Arizona state's home field advantage. They're also playing quite well. They should be, you know, feeling very good about themselves going into this series uh, and you know they uh, they know what they have in front of them in, in the second half of the season, and I'm sure they're going to want to you know carry that momentum over right now and, and and maintain their spot at the top of the standings. So I expect this to be a really good weekend, but between these two, but yeah, I, just the way Oregon State's playing, the way they can pitch, uh, I, I guess I got to go the the advantage on that, and the way they defend is also really significant here. They're the best defensive team in the in the Pac-12, and they're not going to give anything away for you for free. They're not giving you free nineties. They don't walk guys. They don't make errors. Arizona state's going to have to earn everything they get this weekend. And it's an offense that's capable of doing that, but it it is going to be harder to beat Oregon state because they do so many of the little things. Well, if you can somehow get them into a home run derby, yeah, the Beavers are going to struggle to keep up in that, but getting them into that kind of game is, is very challenging. Right. And, and like you said, I said Oregon State was playing great baseball, and they are. But it's not like Arizona State isn't. They haven't lost a Pac-12 series yet. They they get Nick McClain back, who who will be a huge boost and, and has already been a huge boost for the offense. And they are 17-3 and three at home. And Coach Bloomquist has done an outstanding job in his first year and almost two-thirds at the helm. And it, it, it was only a matter of time before we were talking about Arizona State in this light. They might be a little ahead of schedule, but 
Um, I, I, you talked me a little bit more into, uh, into ASU this weekend. I, they are 17 and three at home. And I think on a little bit more of a scale than like a South Carolina might be looking for that. Like, okay, Florida's on our resume. We have a series one over Florida. I think ASU is also searching for something like that, something that they can hang their hat on. And they've got plenty of opportunity in the last five weekends to do that. But this would be a great start to to head into that really, really gaudy part of their schedule with a, a series win over a top 20 team. So no matter how you want to slice it, it's going to be a really, really good series. Also, the Pac-12 this weekend, we've got the L.A. rivalry. We've got uh, UCLA heading across town to USC. Uh, it's a big series for both teams. UCLA uh, has been playing better of late. They had they had a little bit of a downturn there, but you know they've uh, kind of been able to get right. But also, their competition has not been very good lately. Uh, Utah's the last place team in the Pac-12. They swept them, or they won two games and tied one against them. Uh, those those pesky travel uh, curfews. And then last weekend they went two and one against UC Davis, which isn't great, but you know, at least they won the series. They've lost a couple of midweeks in there. I genuinely don't know how well UCLA is playing right now, I guess is, is the bottom line to that. Uh, USC is coming off of that sweep in Corvallis. They did get right on Tuesday with a win against a, a solid Northridge team. They, uh, both of these teams you can argue really need this weekend. USC needs the RPI help eventually like they are sitting like in the 60s in rpi and uh that's not going to get it done at the end of the year i remain convinced that they'll win enough games that like this they're not in rpi trouble yet but they do need to fix that number ucla still has a chance to do a lot of great things uh they're just looking to pick up some some nice pac-12 wins they're hanging around the the title race but they're going to need to win the series eventually and uh, so they, they get a chance this weekend in, in a nice rivalry spot. UCLA beat USC earlier this season uh, in the, the Sunday game of their their tournament, their annual tournament that they, they play uh, out there. But this one is the one that counts in the Pac-12 standings. So a little more emphasis uh, on this weekend for sure. Yeah, no, that's um, crosstown rivalries are always, they always make for a fun series. And these are two very, intriguing and interesting teams like you said with UCLA I kind of it's hard to figure out who they are and what their ceiling might be um on one hand they've they're just kind of getting Ethan Flanagan back which I don't know how fully back they'll get him he's thrown now four times this year he hasn't got more than than three innings. It seems like they're kind of gradually building him up to where they can slot him back in the weekend rotation for the, maybe the last couple of weekends of PAC 12 play as they head into what is, what, what is projected now as a regional. But again, this weekend is big for, for different reasons for each of these teams. Like you said, USC, I'm with you in that they get enough done to get into the tournament. But at some point, they will need to improve upon that RPI, um, which I think that they'll do. Um, but with UCLA, it's kind of strengthening that resume and not having any major slip-ups. So 
as far as the Pac-12 standings go, I, I think it's this will be big for tournament seeding. I don't think either of these teams will come out of the regular season atop the Pac-12. Um, but but again, a a notable series, and I and I, gosh, even though even though they lost, they got swept at Oregon State, um, which was a little bit of a hiccup. I. I don't want to bet against the Trojans this weekend for some reason. And do I think UCLA might be the better team overall? Yeah, but I'm a real fan of what Coach Stankiewicz is doing. I really like how they play. Austin Overn at the top is one of the – he's not getting shine because he's he, he plays at USC and they play every game at 10 o'clock at night, but he is one of the more exciting players for in my mind in college baseball. And then – their pitching is they've just gotten a lot of they just throw quality strikes, they attack the zone, and and they just avoid hard contact. And they're kind of proving that's all you need to do because they don't have the sexiest names necessarily. They aren't super prospecty out of, I guess, Eric Ham aside from Eric Hammond. Um, but they've just been getting it done. They're another team like ASU that we knew the coach Sankowitz hire was going to be great and pay dividends for, for Southern Cal in the long run, but they're ahead of schedule. And I know you're the resident USC fan, not fan, but you're the resident <laughs> USC guy on the podcast, but I, I just don't want to bet against the Trojans this weekend. So I, I lean, I lean towards them taking two of three in what I think will be another kind of, grinded out series for both of these teams. I think it's going to be whoever emerges from Sunday as the series victor will have taken their fair share of licks along the way. Yeah, I think it'll probably be pretty low scoring. I think both of these pitching staffs are relatively similar. The There's more juice on the UCLA side, but it's not like they're, they're definitely a command oriented staff over a, a stealth staff, I guess I would say. And, and that's what USC is trying to do as well. USC plays really well at home. Like they Stanford found that out. Maybe the home field advantage is lessened a little bit because UCLA gets to sleep in their own beds this weekend. But uh, USC definitely plays well at home. They're very comfortable there. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, if they win another home series and not to look too far ahead. But if they do, uh, the the second half of their of their Pac-12 slate is difficult, but. UCLA, Oregon, and Arizona State all have to come to Dato Field. So, if uh, if there is something to that USC home field advantage, it uh, it would really really pay dividends in, in down the stretch for the Trojans. Uh, all right, one more series wanted to get to for this weekend. It's uh, a big one in the Sun Belt. It's two of the top three teams going at it in that conference. We've got Coastal hosting Southern Miss. Uh, Coastal is in first place. Southern Miss is tied with Louisiana Lafayette for second place, uh, just a game behind the the shots in, in the standings. Uh, Coastal pushing for potential top eight seed in the NCAA tournament, certainly looking like hosts. Southern Miss pushing to host for a second year in a row. This, uh, you know, ULL is a good team. They're coming off of a serious loss against Troy. Uh, they did just beat LSU. Like I, I think that ULL is not quite on Coastal and Southern Misses level, though. I think this is the two best teams in the Sun Belt, and I think this will be a really fun weekend at Springbrook Stadium. It's not the most prospecty series out there. Maybe not the most uh, 
you know, high profile series you can watch this weekend. But I do think this is just two really good college baseball teams going at it. And if you like runs, Coastal sure scores a lot of those. So uh, we'll, we'll see if the Southern Miss pitching staff and Tanner Hall can contain them. But uh, they're they're definitely going to have their hands full with this Coastal offense. I was going to say, not only does Coastal love to score, they're also playing at home, <clears throat> excuse me, at home, which is a for opposing teams. And sometimes Coastal is the victim of it. It is a notorious, notorious launch pad. And the ball always is just flying out to center. You have that jet stream. And every time I'll tune into a Coastal game, which I will this weekend plenty, um, that flag is just blowing straight out to center and left center. If you get the ball up in the air at all, it's going to go. So Southern Miss has their hands full because they don't have the offensive firepower that Coastal does. Slade Wilkes has finally figured it out, it seems. He's hitting 333, 10 doubles, and 14 home runs, um, along with Dustin Dickerson up at the top, who's hitting 336. But other than that, it's it's been a ter- it's been a challenge for the Golden Eagles to to get a lot of production. Matthew Etzel was a guy I know I was very excited about coming into the season, both from what I thought he could do in the college season. And then also what I thought of him as a potential sleeper prospect in the draft, but he's been a little disappointing. He's still putting together a right, a, a very respectable and, and solid stat line. But I think that there was a little bit more in the tank, but then on the flip side with coastal, they just mash one through nine and they're hitting 317 as a team with 63 home runs in 34 games. It's almost two home runs a game, which is just ridiculous. And everywhere you look, they're getting production. But like you said, it's it's not a super prospecty roster, at least in the for the 2023 draft for Coastal. I guess Nick Lucky, who's long been both at Coastal and considered a a nice draft prospect for potentially day three. He's been good this year. Good, not great. But then it's kind of, it's a little bit like Campbell where they get these, they've got these, one's listed as a super senior, I think, on the roster. But these older guys, Peyton Eels, Zach Beach, and um, and Graham Brown have all been exceptional. And they're all seniors. Eels is hitting 374, Beach 349, and Brown 346. But where the the offensive discrepancy might get, I guess, neutralized to a sense. South, Southern Miss is not going to, I don't think they can hit with Coastal, but where it might get neutralized is that Springbrook Stadium jet stream because it's not like Coastal has, in my opinion, a bunch of world beaters on the mound outside of Teddy Sharkey, but kind of like Andrew Walters in Miami, you have to get the ball to Sharkey. So, it's going to be a really interesting series. Like you said, I think it's going to be a very, a, a, a team, a, a series between two really good teams. Coastal is in obviously prime position to host, but they're gunning for a top eight national seed. We have them ranked eighth. Southern Miss is coming off a loss against La Tech last night. Um, but with all of that being said, and I, I, I can't not give, Coastal a, a pretty decent advantage this weekend. I just think that their offense is too good. Um, and I, I think they're just going to wear down Southern Miss pitching and really get into that bullpen. 
I think if Southern Miss is going to do this, Christopher Sargent is going to have to have a big weekend. He has been hitting better in conference play. He started the season really slow. He is a guy that has a lot of track record as a power hitter, uh, but started slow. Seemed to heat up last weekend, especially against James Madison. If he's able to take that into this weekend, uh, get some of those balls into into that jet stream as a, as a right-handed hitter, you know, he certainly has... He doesn't need the help, uh, but it that that could help him uh, get going even more, and that that like lengthens the Southern Miss lineup a bit. But this is a, a bit of a it's a little bit strength on strength. You've got Coastal fourth in the nation in scoring. You've got uh, Southern Miss being a more pitching friendly team. They're they're one of the better pitching staffs in the Sun Belt, but they rank like a hundred and seventieth in the country in scoring. So. They really need to find a way. I it, it would not behoove them to get into slugfests. They need to find a way to uh, to make that pitching advantage work for them and find enough uh, offense to to keep up with Coastal. If Coastal does get this series win, you know it wouldn't end the Sun Belt race, but it really would put them in a it, firmly in the driver's seat going into the stretch run here. And you know again, it's they're never going to have a lock solid top eight seed case, I don't think, but it would win in this conference, which right now is a top five conference in, in, in RPI. Uh, I think it would go a long way to, uh, to getting them one of those top eight seeds. So a big one to watch this weekend in Conway. Yeah. And I do think for, for Southern Miss with Tanner Hall on the mound on Friday, that's a good tone setter for him. And the stuff he has is, I think it'll play well in terms of keeping the ball in the yard because he's a sinker slider guy with a plus changeup. He's going to keep the ball down. Um, granted, with that said, Coastal might go out and hit six home runs, which they do seemingly every game. But Southern Miss has the guy that they want, and I think anyone would want when heading into Coastal. It's a guy that's going to keep the ball down, avoid hard contact, and I, I think – pitch to to ground balls and soft outs so if tanner hall can set the tone for him and and somehow go i think he'd need to probably go seven plus innings to feel comfortable with a win um but he is the guy you want although i i'm not going to pick against coastal but he 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 makes for a very difficult matchup to start that series yeah absolutely that that is a difference maker for Southern Miss versus anyone in the league. It's a huge advantage to have an All American uh, running out there on Friday nights in the Sun Belt. They, the Sun Belt has a lot of great players. They don't have a lot of guys like Tanner Hall. So if if Southern Miss is going to do it, it it's got to start on Friday night. I would I would agree with that. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for us today on the Baseball America College Podcast. A lot of ground covered. A big weekend of baseball ahead of us, and you can follow us. Uh, follow along uh, with all of it over at baseballamerica.com. That's where all of our writing is. Uh, we'll get you ready for the weekend. You can check out the projected field of 64 uh, that I've mentioned a few times here on the podcast, and, and Peter will have your, your weekend preview uh, later in the week. You can follow us on Twitter as well. I'm at Ted Cahill. Peter is at Peter G. Flaherty. And we'll be back here with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast next week. So be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button uh, on your favorite podcasting app. You can find us, uh, the Baseball America podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, we're there. 
So we'll be back here with another episode next week. Until then, for Peter, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you later.